What a privilege it is to be in the house of God this morning. If you have a copy of the Word of God and want to turn with us in the Scripture, we'll be in the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. If you have a copy of the Word of God, 1 John chapter number 5. I realize that in the course of study and the Sunday school hour, uh, that we have been for the last little bit in the book of First John in the first chapter. And uh, to be uh, 100% honest with you, it never even entered my mind uh, that we were there. The Lord just got to deal in my heart yesterday out of this book and this uh, the last chapter. And I want to read the last four verses of this epistle of John to the people of God. I want to make that very clear. This morning is that the book of 1 John or the epistle of 1 John is a family letter. John never addresses sinners, the world, or the lost in his epistle. He makes references to them, but he never specifically addresses them. He always talks to the believer. And there's proof in that because the phrase that's used over And over again, or two phrases, are either children or beloved. Those are the words that John uses. And those words are never used to characterize anybody other than those who have been born again and a part of the family of God. So let's read this morning in the Word of God what John has to say by inspiration of the Spirit of God to the people of God in 1 John chapter 5. When you found your place, if you're able and willing to do so, let's stand together. And of course, by standing, we're just showing reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. 1 John chapter 5. I begin reading in verse number 18 and read through the end of the chapter, the last four verses of this chapter in this book. The Bible says, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. If I'm to be real honest with you this morning, my heart's been pretty burdened for the hour this morning. And what the Lord has dealt with my heart about. I want to preach. We read the last four verses. I felt compelled to do so. To put the verse that I want to preach from this morning. Or that's on my heart in context. But I want to preach from verse number 21. On little children. Keep yourselves from idols. I want to preach this morning on keeping yourself from idols. That's what's on my heart. I'm afraid that in these days that we live in, in the church world, we think of idols or idol worship or idolatry 
as some Old Testament thing that is long past and has no application in the New Testament age, but we are very wrong. If that was the case, then why would the Holy Ghost at the end of John's epistle inspire the Apostle John to write these words, little children or people of God, family of God, saved by God, people that are born again to keep yourselves from idols. Now, there are a couple of words that keep coming up in these verses that I'm interested in and want to make mention of that maybe by way of introduction and then get where I feel that I need to go this morning. God will help me and you'll pray for me. But there are some things, some words that keep coming up. First of all is the word no. Uh, now, the word no is going to be one of the predominant words in all of John's epistle. He's going to use this word over and over and over again. And thank God there's some things we know uh, that we don't have to live our Christian life and our Christian experience in the dark, uh, but thank God we're not in the dark. We've been translated out of darkness, the scriptures say, and into the kingdom of his dear son. And that is that we've been brought out of darkness and into light. Uh, we sang that song, his love lights the way I travel today. And the reality is it's because of the things that through the word of God and the preaching of the word of God, and the direction of the Spirit of God and the fellowship we have with God, there are some things that you and I as the people of God know in this life. Thank God for that. We know. The Scripture saying, I didn't read that verse, but it's in this chapter back up just a little ways of verse 13. He said, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life. Thank God we can know. Uh, the salvation experience is not a doubtful thing. Uh, God doesn't play with these things. Uh, it's not in limbo. We're not seeing if we can make it or seeing if we can keep ourselves uh, because the word used here and God, John is not under the inspiration of God contradicting himself. Uh, there are some things that we must keep ourselves in uh, but the reality is it's the Spirit of God working in us that enables us how to keep ourselves from some things that is right if that's not so then we're all in trouble if it was up to me to keep myself I'd have been out a long time ago and so would you but thank God the same God and the same grace that saved me and put me in the family is now keeping me along the journey we're not going to stand before God one day I don't know where that, that thought process came in that we're going to stand before God one day to see whether we go to heaven or whether we don't. That's nowhere in this book. John said we know now that we have eternal life. Eternal life does not begin when we get there. But eternal life began in us the moment we got born again and birthed in the family of God. Eternal life began. That's what Jesus said, my sheep are mine. He said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never die. You say, but preacher, we have to die. We lay aside this robe of flesh. But the reality is that that's born of God never dies. 
There's an eternal man living in you. And it was mentioned this morning in the Sunday school hour. And I feel like I need to maybe mention it again. There's a perfect man living in you. You're not perfect. The reason you're not perfect is because you still live in the flesh. God did not save the flesh. But he saved the soul. And he quickened the spirit. And made it alive toward God. And imparted into it divine nature. It took on the nature of God. And it's a perfect man. And the, But we deal with the sin of the flesh we war within our members the flesh against the spirit the spirit against the flesh they are contrary one to another and so it's a daily process every day if you're saved you have a struggle every day that is right struggle with the flesh struggle with your wants struggle with your wishes your will your way. And we must reckon. The Bible said we're to mortify the members of our body. That is, that we're to get up every morning and look in the Word of God and read this Bible like it's a death certificate on our flesh. And that's what it is. And you can't do that without the aid of the Spirit of God. I'm going to tell you, it was mentioned this morning, I think, in Sunday school, but it's on my heart. The Lord just tied everything together and He's good at doing that. I'm going to tell you why there's so much trouble in churches today and why so many people, I'm going to tell you why so many, that there's, that why that these mega churches and why they have to have these programs and these games and these gimmicks and all these stuff to lure people to being in the house is because they've never been saved. And we're trying to get people to mortify their flesh that have never been regenerated and have not the aid of the Holy Spirit living in. You cannot, an unsaved man cannot crucify his flesh. It is impossible without the aid of the Spirit of God. But the reason that there's liberty in serving Christ, serving Christ and living for God should never, ever, ever produce bondage in the life of the believer. And the reason why many people are living the Christian life like it's a life of bondage is they're doing everything they do in the efforts of the flesh. And they have no spirit alive in them. Your spirit, when you are not saved, is dead toward God. Adam began to die physically in the Garden of Eden, but he died instantly in his spirit toward God. That's why the spirit quickeneth. Our spirit is dead. And the spirit of God must quicken the inner man to be alive toward God again. That's the only way to have fellowship. You cannot fellowship with God in the flesh. We can do it while we live in the flesh. But the fellowship we have with God is in the Spirit. That's right. We walk after the Spirit after we're saved. We don't walk after the flesh. We walk after the Spirit. And the reason we can do that is we know some things because God, thank God, has let us in on it. Ain't that a blessing? When God lets you in on some things. Do you realize this morning if you're saved, I don't think we understand this. I think if we understood it completely, the building would not contain us. That we 
Not because of who we are. Not because of anything good in us. There's none good. No, not one. If we all this morning, however many of us, 30 here are, were to come and pile up all our good deeds and all our righteousness, the Lord said I would look at it as filthy rags. And if you want to really study the scripture, a filthy rag was the rags that the lepers used and absorb all the grossness that was coming out of their body by sickness. And when it couldn't absorb any more of the putridness that throw it aside and it become a filthy rag. And God said all your effort in the flesh is as filthy rags. But thank God He let us in because He loved us and had mercy on us and grace on us. Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to His grace He saved us by the washing of water and renewing of the Holy Spirit. But thank God this morning we're in. I thought about old Elijah over there in the Old Testament, or Elisha maybe, when God is letting him in on some things. And the king of Syria wanted to bring war against Israel. And God got to telling Elisha where they were. And he got to warn the king of Israel not to go. And the king of Syria come. And he got all his men gathered together. And this is logical thinking. This is how the world looks at what we're doing this morning through the logical mind. And this is just a continuation of what the Lord sent this morning in Sunday school. Thank God he already knew. And to the king of Syria, the logical thing was there was a spy in the ranks. He said one of you boys is a traitor. And I want to know who it is that's giving information. And the commander said, King, I hate to tell you, but ain't none of us told the king of Israel anything. They said, but there's a man of God down yonder. And the Lord is telling him what you're doing, what you're saying, while you're even in your bedchamber. I'm telling you, as much a miracle as it was for God to tell Elisha what the king of Syria was doing a country away. Even more, a greater miracle. You and I this morning, who deserve to be in hell, who justice should be there, have been led in on some things by the Spirit of God and put in the family of God. And he's allowed us to know some things. And we know what we know not because somebody else told us. You better not bank what you know on what your parents know. You better not bank what you know on what your spouse knows. You better not bank what you know on what the preacher knows. But thank God if you're saved, you know it for yourself. You don't have to have anybody else tell you. I'm going to tell you if you've been let in on the fact that you know if you can get past, and I don't mean that in, in bad terms, but if we can get past, and I don't know what other word to use, the fact that we know that we have eternal life, if we can get that in the book and get that grounded and get a hold of that by the help of God, you'll find out that ain't the only thing that you'll be gifted to know by the aid of the Spirit of God. You can know He's for you. You can know He cares about you. You can know when no one else comes, He'll come. When no one else comes through, He'll come through. When no one else is there, He's there. When all the hell of cells, He's there. When mother and father forsake, He's there. When friends forsake he's there and you can know that we have confidence in him I'm going to tell you what else John John got it ain't real deep but it's real deep if you understand it 
John said we know if we know that we pass from death unto life if we know that we have eternal life he said now we know if we pray he heareth us boy ain't that something good to know that the God of heaven that created the world and all that therein is that looks down on a speck of dirt and dust like you and I and we can know in ourselves that he hears us and John said not only do we know that he hears us but if we can get it nailed down that we know that he hears us now we know that we have the petitions that we asked of him not only do we know he hears but we know he can do it when we're asking him we come in confidence boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Thank God there's some things we know. And then John said, we know that whatsoever or whosoever is born of God sinneth not. You say, preacher, are you preaching sinner's perfection? No, not in the least. But I'm preaching that that man born in you does not sin. Does not have a desire to sin. Your flesh will sin. Your flesh will go astray. The writer said prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. David said, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant. But I'm going to tell you, if you're born of God, you know down inside that there might be a little bit of pleasure in sin, but the season is shortly of God took the fun out of sin when He saved you. The flesh still wants to sin. The flesh desires what the flesh has always desired. But if you're born of God, you're not going to sin and continue in sin and have pleasure in it over and over and over again. It don't work that way. And we know that. That's what the Bible said. He said in verse 19, if you don't hear anything else, there's a few things I want you to hear this morning. I want you to hear verse number 19. Underline it in your Bible two or three or four or five times. It says, and we know that we are of God. Now ain't that something? You know what that means? The literal interpretation that we are of God means that He is our Father. That we were birthed from Him. That we came from Him. I'm telling you this morning, down inside me, my souls are turning flip-flops and somersaults. And I know this morning that I know that I am of God because of what He did in me. And this know here that we're of God, that don't just mean that we know. There's a lot of things we know, head knowledge. We know that God scooped down and picked up the dust of the earth and formed it. That's not what John's talking about right here. He's saying the word no. If you study the word no, it is an intimate experience. John said we know by experience that we have been born from above. We're of God. And he said, and we know that the Son of God is come. Why did He come? Because of the last part of verse 19. The whole world, life and wickedness. We know that. And He said, we know that the Son of God has come now. I want you to underline this in your Bible if you're writing your Bible too. Because this throws out a whole lot of doctrine and a whole lot of controversy. This settles it all. Let God be true and every man a liar. 
Here's what the Bible said. We know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding. You want to know what that means? That means you couldn't know and understand in yourself. It didn't matter how much learning. we got a lot of people in these days, and here's the verse they are, fulfilling in our day, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know why they're that way? Because they've never been given an understanding from God. And I don't know what that does for you, but to look around the world... I know there are much better people as the world standards. Much better people, much better preachers, much better husbands, much better fathers, much better individuals than I. And they've not been given an understanding. But thank God this morning, I've been given an understanding of who I am and who He is. One blessed day on bended knee by the work of the Holy Ghost. He's shined the light of the gospel and He's shown it on Christ. And when I saw Christ for who he was. It caused me to see myself for who I was. And it caused me to know by the light of the gospel and gave me an understanding that he came to save me as part of the world and that lied in wickedness. But thank God now I know I'm born of God. And John said he gave us this understanding that we may know him that is true. So I don't know Pretty common sense tells me without God giving a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl understanding to know Him, He can never know Him. He can know Him, but He cannot know Him without God giving an understanding. That's God's business. And He said, and we are in Him, that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. And John's just repeating what he heard the Lord say. The Lord said, All the Father giveth to me are mine. No man's able to pluck them out of my hand. I and my Father are one. No man's able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That's what John is saying here. We are in Him. That is true. That's God the Father. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ. So it leads me to believe we're pretty secure in Christ and in the Father. This is the true God and eternal life. So he said, there are some things that we know. Now he says, keep. Keep yourselves from idols. He's already said it in verse number 18. He that is begotten of God keepeth himself. The word keep means to guard, to keep watch, to avoid, shun, Free from whatever is displeasing to God. And it reads to me like, and I've already said this, need to say it again, leads me to read and believe according to Scripture. It says the only ones that are able through the power of God to keep their self is the ones that are begotten of God. So it leads me to believe it's a work, an ongoing work, of the Spirit of God in a man to put him in a position where he wants to please God, honor God, live for God, and he knows to do so, he must guard against some things, flee from some things, shun some things, turn away from some things, keep his eye on some things that are displeasing to God. And there's a lot of things 
that we could preach about keeping from. But what's on my heart this morning is verse 21, which is probably the most overlooked verse in all of 1 John. A lot of people have the opinion that John just thought it would... John didn't think anything. The Holy Spirit gave John every word he pinned down. Can I remind you, the Bible said all Scripture, which includes 1 John 5, 21, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is proper for doctrine, for instruction in righteousness, and for correction. It's all in there for a reason. And John said at the close of his book, now John has written a whole lot of good stuff by the help of the Lord. And this is what the Lord chooses to sum up the book. Little children, my people, save folk, children of God, keep yourselves from idols. Guard against idols. Watch out for idols. Flee from idols. Shun idols. Keep a watch out in your own life for idols. The Lord said in Exodus 20 and 3, Thou shalt not have no other gods before me. Now I'm going to tell you something the Holy Ghost told me. And then I'm going to give you a few things and I'm done. Those who are unsaved, in the Old Testament we read about two people, two different kinds of people that got caught up in idol worship. Those were the heathen and the people of God. And idols and idol worship and idolatry were two completely different things to both classes of people. To the unsaved, idols are a direct result of confusion because they do not know the true God. The heathens in the Old Testament, hear me this morning, they worship idols because they had no understanding that we have already preached about of the real God. And so it was confusion unto them. Paul stepped off the shore at Athens if you want New Testament Scripture and he told them all they were doing. The Bible said he saw the whole city wholly given to idolatry. And Paul said you're doing what you're doing in ignorance because you don't know the true God. But if I'm reading my Bible right and following the direction of the Holy Ghost right, the people of God, those of us who are saved, who have idols at times in our life, we don't do it out of confusion because we know the true God. We do it because something has come in our lives that is competing with God. That's what I want to preach this morning and I'll be done. Is there something in your life that is competing in your life with God? If there is... It's an idol. An idol is anything in a saved person's life who competes in his life with something that belongs to God. 
feel real strongly in my spirit this morning and my heart's been real burdened. And I've prayed for God to help me, guard me. I'm not going to preach in the flesh. I'm not preaching in the wrong spirit. I'm preaching from my heart out of love to you this morning. That you, your mama can't do it. Your husband can't do it. Your, your wife can't do it. Your dad can't do it. you got to do it for yourself. Examine by the light. If you're saved... And have an understanding of God that you are of God, born of God. He is God and beside Him there is none other. Now through the working of the Holy Ghost and the preached Word of God, let it examine your life and see is there something in your life that is competing with God. i got three things I want to tell you this morning I'm done. Is there something in your life that is competing with God for your affection? See, this word keep keeps coming up. John said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. I want to know is there, if, if there was no reason, if there was no temptation, if there was no possibility of idols coming into the lives of the people of God to compete for their affection with God, then John would have never been led of the Holy Spirit to write verse 21. He's not writing to the unsaved. He is writing to regenerated believers to not allow anything in their life to compete with their affection with God. And Solomon in all his wisdom in Proverbs chapter 4 said, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The seat of your affection must be guarded, watched. There are things you must shun from, to flee from, to push aside. Is there something in your life that is competing for your affection for God? See, in the Old Testament, when David was king, he had a son. And his son's name was Absalom. And Absalom was, and I'm telling you Scripture, Absalom was a handsome man. The Bible said he was perfect in physical appearance. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish, physically speaking, in him. And he was very attractive. He had a good personality. I'm going to say that Absalom had a lot of charisma. He knew how to talk the way they wanted to be talked to. He knew how to tell the people what they wanted to hear. But the people were the people of David. David was their king by order of God. God had placed David in that position. But all these people that served under David were doing... Now I'm going to preach right here this morning because it's on my heart. They were coming to how we would... If we were writing it in the New Testament, we would interpret that they were coming to the house of God. All these people are coming to the house of God. And while they're coming to the house of God, there's something there that is competing for their affection for the true King. Now you may be in your seat this morning and saying, well I come to church, 
There can't be anything. It doesn't matter coming to church. Not, now, I believe you ought to. I believe it's Scripture that you ought to. But I'm going to tell you, we've got so wrapped up in this day about two-day or three-hour or however much you want to call it, Christianity. And that's about all we give to God. And on Monday, we get bombarded and swamped with all these things that are competing for our affection for God. You say, but preacher, you're preaching the Old Testament. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. No room for any competition with God. He must come first. He'll not, you say, well, I'll put him first on Sunday and then, you know, my job or my hobbies, that's where we're at today. That's the reason Sundays fall flat so many times is we got so many people that have so many idols competing for their affection for God. He wants all of you. I'm going to preach something right here and it's scriptural. And the songwriter got it right. And we're living in a day when a preacher makes a statement like that or preaches. Now I'm just preaching what's on my heart this morning. When a preacher makes a statement like that, we we think in the back of our mind, we think, oh, that's optional. That's just for certain Christians. But the writer of the song said, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. That's not talking about you trying to pay God back for your salvation, but He paid the ultimate price for you and now He demands all of you. All of you on Monday, on Tuesday, on Saturday, on Sunday, regardless of the day, He wants all of you. You say, preacher, you saying that I can't have any fun or have any hobby? I'm not saying that at all, but you better keep them in their place. If they ever get so important to you that they begin to compete with your affection for God, you better shun them and get away from them. That's what John said, keep yourselves from idols. And the Bible said little by little, at the house of God, Absalom stood outside the gate. And he said, if I were a judge, all these people are coming with their problems to try to find some help. And Absalom said, if I were made a judge in Israel, if you would follow me, I would make sure that either I heard your case or I had a man that would hear all your cases and you wouldn't have to go back the same way you come. And that is where we're at today. All these health, wealth, and prosperity telling you you're better than you are. and All of this. just cut. That's what the Bible said. And Go home and read it. The Bible said, And Absalom stole the heart of the people of Israel. They began to love Absalom more than they loved David. And that's where we're at today in the church world. We love our time, our wants, our wishes, our possessions, our hobbies, our whatever, our agenda, our calendar, our schedule, our job, our money, whatever you want to put there. Something's coming between us and God and competing for our love for Him. And you can't serve two masters. It's impossible. Jesus said it Himself. Impossible for you to love and serve two. He said you have got to love one and hate the other. 
You say, well, I still look in God's eyes. If he don't have all your love, it might as well equate to hate to him. He said, preacher, that's pretty strong. That's why John warned us. And I'm preaching to you with a burden on my heart this morning from God. To keep yourselves from idols. Anything that competes with your affection for God. I want to know this morning, is there something in your life that competes with your attention for God? Now I'm preaching this morning, I don't want anybody to go away and say I didn't know what the preacher was saying. I'm not preaching coming to church. Coming to church will be a direct result. We have have raised a generation. I don't know how long it's been going on. Probably over 50 years. We've majored on church Christianity. Come to church. Come to church. Come to church. I believe you ought to come to church. But I want you to hear me. Hear me real well. Coming to church can become an idol. If all your attention on Sunday morning is and just coming to church and you never give God a second thought about why we're coming to church, who we're coming to church for, well, you're not coming for me. I, I mean, I love you. And I want you to be here, but don't come for me. Come for God. If you're coming to church for the wrong reason, it can almost become an idol. All your attention is just on the building, the program, the format, the fashion. I, I'm telling you, we need to get our eyes on Him again. See, we've preached faithful to church and we've dropped faithfulness to God. If we would preach, be faithful to God and let people get right with God, all the other things will take care of themselves. If you'll be faithful to God on Monday, you won't have any trouble getting out of bed on Sunday and coming to the house of God. That's right. If you're faithful to God, I'm going to tell you why many, and I, I think there is a lot of people probably in the churches across our world and across our nation especially that are not saved, but I think there's a lot of people that are saved and they, go, they are wrapped up with idols. And they don't want you to say that, and that's real unpopular preaching because we've heard preaching all our lives about what happened to those in days gone by. I'm telling you, when the people of God turned to idols in the Old Testament, He sent people in and judged them because of it. And our churches are being judged today with lack of power and lack of sinners being saved and lack of revival because we're full of idolatry. Is there something that competes for your attention? Jude, that little bitty book, just a few pages over in verse 21, Jude said, keep yourselves in the love of God. You say, preacher, does that mean that Jude's saying that we have to keep ourselves, that we can be in the love of God, and that's not what it's saying, but he's saying keep your focus. If you'll read the verse in its context, it has to do with our attention and our focus. Keep yourself focused on God. On who He is. On what He's done for you. 
And see, that's how I'm afraid we, and I thank God, we ought to come in the house of God. We ought to praise Him for what He's done. But we have lost sense of worship. I'll never forget those many things over the years of my life that I heard Brother Terry Pace preach. But I don't think I'll ever hear anything any more effective in my own life as when he stood right here in this pulpit and said that praise was worshiping or thanking God for what He's done. But worship was getting wrapped up in who God was. And regardless of what he's done or not done, we worship for who he is. And so Jude's saying, let your attention be on him and who he is. Is there something in your life that is competing with your attention with God? And then I want to say, and I'm done. Is there something in your life that is competing for your appetite for God? James said, pure religion and undefiled is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Well, in application of what I'm preaching this morning, the way God's put it on my heart, James is saying don't fill up with the world and then expect God to top you off. It doesn't work that way. Come into the house of God and we got three quarters of a tank of the world and we expect God to put a quarter in to soothe our conscience and make us... You say, preacher, you're preaching rough. I don't want to. But it's on my heart this morning and I can't, I've got to stand before God one day and I know He wants me to preach this this morning. God's not going to put a quarter of Him over three quarters of the world. Matter of fact, God's not even going to put three quarters of Him over a quarter of the world. He wants you to come in empty of yourself and empty of, of the world and let Him fill you up. If you went to a restaurant today and sat down and you knew what was to come, you knew what the main course was going to be, and it was your favorite thing. I want you to hear me this morning. This is the way the Lord put it on my heart. I'm not talking about just something good to eat, not just something you enjoy every once in a while, but if we are where we ought to be with God, He should be our favorite thing. And coming to His house should be our favorite thing. And worshiping Him should be our favorite thing. If you went to a restaurant and you knew the main course that was to come was your favorite thing, would you fill up on all the other stuff? Or would you make sure there was room for what you longed for to come? See, that's why we're in such trouble. We've come to the house of God just to check it off our list. We've not come because we long to come. We've not come because we long to hear from Him. We've not, and I understand we can fellowship with Him outside the building, thank God. We can pray and talk to Him outside the building, thank God. But I'm telling you, this is the place that He has chosen in our New Testament age to work through. You can't get anywhere else what you can get at the local New Testament church. And I'm going to say you can't get anywhere else in any other. Lord, help me this morning. If God's revealed to you where your place is, you can't get in any other church on any other service what you can get when you're in your place. 
I'm not saying you might not get a little good here and a little good there, but if God's revealed to you where you need to be, and, put, and I'm not talking about your place on the pew, I'm talking about your place in a local assembly, then God will work through that assembly greater than He'll work in anywhere else in your life. You say, well, I've shouted other places. I, I thank God for that, but when you've come back to your place, it is reinforced and reworked everything God's done in your life because God has said, this is your place. That's why it's important to find your place and get in it and be in it. When five or six o'clock or whatever time that we it's not real consistent a lot of times and probably not in anybody's life, what time we eat supper? About five or six o'clock. When it comes time for supper and my belly gets to growl and I get hungry, I don't go to the neighbor's house and just walk in and sit down. I don't have a place there. Oh, they might welcome me and say it's good to have you and they might give me something, but that's not my place. I'm not saying I can't eat there, but I won't get what was specially prepared for me at my place if I'm somewhere else. I believe that's right. I'm afraid we're living in a day that all kinds of things are competing with God for first place in our life. And I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart, in all honesty, you know me, most of you do, some of you are visiting, but the majority of you have been with me long enough. I'm real open, always honest, best I can be and transparent. I prayed and told God, I said, if you'll tell me things to say. I didn't know how God wanted me to preach. I just prayed and told Him to tell me what to say. I said, if you'll tell me things, specific things, I'll say them if that's what you want me to do. And the Holy Ghost spoke to my heart this morning. He said, I don't need you to do that. I can take care of that myself. So I've not named any specific thing this morning, not one. I may have given a broad list, but I've not specifically preached on one thing. The Holy Ghost said for me not to. He said He'd take care of that. But while I've preached, the Holy Ghost is always true to His Word. While I've preached about your affection and your attention and your appetite, and I've not mentioned any one thing, but the Holy Ghost has slid up in the seat beside you and put His arm around you, and He said, this thing is taking too much of your time. It's in your thoughts too much. You're liking it too much. It's beginning to compete. I'm not saying that what you're doing, nothing that I have preached about this morning in its place is wrong. I don't have anything specific. But there are things in our lives that when they begin to take a wrong place, it's then they become wrong in our life. And we're going to either have to shun them do away with them completely or we're going to have to ask the Lord to help us know how to draw the line and say this is as much of my attention as you can have. This is as much of my time. This All because we want Him to have first place in our life. And I'm going to admit to you this morning because the Lord told me to. My sheep, 
And I'm talking about physically at my house. They're very hands-on, require a lot of effort, and I've always been somebody that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And the Lord showed me a long time back that they were taking up way too much of my time and way too much of my attention. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just being real open and honest with tears in my eyes. Some of them I've had for years. And I, you, you can think I'm crazy if you want to, but you develop it. When you put your hands on an animal that much, you develop some kind of bond. And with tears in my eyes, I called people the last two weeks and I said, they got to go. Do you want them? Come get them. Took some of them yesterday. rest of them are scheduled to come be picked up. Because I told God no more. I don't want it to take no more of my time. What I'm doing this morning, it all started all them weeks ago, and I don't know if you remember it or not, but I do. When I pulled into my place of work and I said I'd rather be in the pulpit preaching because God made it real in me. I'm not going to say for the first time, but for the first time like that, that this is what I was born to do. I may not be real good at it from my standpoint, but i got a faithful God to help me. And I may not be real qualified by man's eyes, but thank God He qualifies me. And the calling of God on me qualified. I don't want anything to take away from what we're doing this morning. i got girls that have not been saved yet. Y'all got children and grandchildren that have not been saved yet. I'm looking across congregation of young people. Some of them may be saved, some of them ain't. But I'm telling you, this is important business. And, and God deserves all of us. All of us before we get here. All of us when we're here. All of us after we leave. It all belongs to Him. And the only hope we have for our... They're going to want God as much as we want God. And I don't want no idols to compete in my life for the risk of not only my own sake because I want to be pleasing. Number one, because I want to be pleasing in the sight of God, but I don't want to risk. I don't, steal, I don't want a bunch of Absalom stealing my girls and your daughters and sons and grandsons and granddaughters. I don't want no Absaloms around here to steal their hearts. But I want them to know that there's a king who sits on the throne who I love and he loves me and He loves them. I want them. I want to charge them like David charged his son. No God. Not, I knew Him, but you're going to have to know Him for yourself, Solomon. You can't know Him because I knew Him. You've got to know Him for yourself. That's right. I want to show them. Somebody wrote a song. I don't even know who sings it. Primitive Quartet, maybe. They sing a song that says, It's wonderful just to know Him. That's why I got so stirred up this morning down inside when I got on that word no. I'm telling you, it's wonderful just to know it. Just to know I belong to Him. And He belongs to me. And I want Him to have first place in my life. And He has for He wants first place. That's all He wants, and that's all He'll have. I wonder about you this morning. I'm not preaching that you've been out in sin. Holy Ghost is really working in me to tell you that. I'm not preaching you're out 
doing terrible things out doing, but I'm preaching that there's something that's crept in your life. And it's a stealing your attention, your appetite, your affection. Used to be you'd come to the house of God different than you come now. If that's the case, there's probably something in your life that's competing with God. As we stand all over the house, I'm done.